We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. And now a 43-yard drive for the win. Good snap, good hold. Kick is good. Washington wins it. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Dustin Hopkins gets bailed out by Dexter Lawrence and then comes through on a 43-yarder after missing a 48-yarder. Wow, what a football game last night. Was it perfectly played? No. Was it thrilling? Yeah, it really was. Was it a memorable game because of the quarterback for the Washington football team? Well, around here, it just might turn out to be that. Uh, good day to all of you. Jay Gruden is going to be on the show. He watched the game last night. We're going to get his thoughts uh, on the Washington 30-29 to win over the New York Giants uh, last night. I've got a big smell test, like a large, large selection of plays, 14 of them for you. Uh, that will be available in the final segment of the show today. Don't forget, subscribe. Uh, if you haven't done that, it doesn't cost you a thing. It really helps us. Also, rate us and review us wherever you get the opportunity to do that, especially on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. Five-star uh, rating would be great. And just one to two sentences, um, it really helps us out. What a thrilling game last night was. Uh, an offensive thriller primarily um, was the game last night. Uh, defense, not much of an option for most of the night. Back and forth the whole night. A second half that included 12 combined offensive drives with 10 scores. 10 scores on 12 combined drives. The final five minutes were nuts. Both quarterbacks made big-time plays all night long. Receivers made big-time catches uh, and plays all night long. Um, plenty of mistakes in the game, but they were you know, dramatic mistakes in the game. It was a crazy game last night, uh, and it was a 30-29 to Washington win. By the way, two straight incredible Thursday night games to open up the year. The Cowboys beat the Bucks. 31 to 29 in the season opener last week and then last night in the uh, second Thursday night game of the year 30 to 29 um 
Yeah, 30 to 29. So 31 29 and 30 to 29 in the first two Thursday games of the year. It really was an incredibly entertaining uh, football game. Uh, the offense was great uh, by both sides, really. Both teams unstoppable for much of the night. And as I mentioned, you know, when you think about it, even the mistakes in the game had some drama associated with them. The dropped wide-open touchdown pass by Slayton. You know, the missed field goal by Hopkins, but the offsides on Dexter Lawrence giving Hopkins another chance. Maybe another chance, by the way, to keep his job. Can you imagine what we would be talking about this morning uh, and uh, this afternoon as you listen to this podcast um, if Hopkins' first attempt, which went wide right, uh, wasn't called off for an offsides penalty. It was the right call. Um, the game had plenty of questionable officiating. Was that read option touchdown run by Daniel Jones really a holding penalty on C.J. Board? I don't know. Maybe, you know, technically it was or it was, you know, debatable. It seemed ticky-tack to me. Um, how did McKissick in the first half on third and short get uh, – tripped up by the turf, not get touched by a defender, lunge himself past the first down marker, and then they go and review the play after marking it short, and they come back and then they say the call's confirmed. That was ridiculous. Uh, The game had some debatable strategic decisions in it. You know, some think Rivera should have kicked uh, a uh, shouldn't have kicked a field goal on fourth and three with nine minutes to go, and instead should have gone for it. I'll weigh in on that a little bit later. Um, I think there was a big mistake made by the Giants staff. I actually think Joe Judge had a bad night altogether uh, for the Giants. Um, But when they got the ball after the interception, which was a dramatic mistake late in the game by uh, by Taylor Heineke, I thought the Giants got way too conservative and settled for a field goal. There was too much time left in that game. You know, you had to know as the head coach of the Giants, we really haven't slowed them down. They haven't slowed us down either. Uh, We're up to, you know, we're down one here. We get one first down. We're in pretty good shape to run much of the clock out, but why don't we just go for it, try to score a touchdown? Why don't we try to score a touchdown, go for two, and have a 34-27 to lead? Make them score a touchdown. Uh, rather than you know running the ball straight into the middle of the line of scrimmage with Saquon Barkley to force Washington to call timeouts with over two minutes to go, That was bad clock management, and I think bad strategy by the Giants. They had been moving the football through the air. Uh, They had really, um, you know, pretty much shredded Washington uh, all night long, Um, and they got super conservative there. So you had coaching decisions that were strategically um, debatable. Uh, The game was great. You know, the game was phenomenal. Uh, you know, you get a game that ends 30-29 to 29 with a walk-off field goal at the gun following a walk-off field goal attempt that went wide right, but there's a penalty on it. You get a game with 800 combined yards, nearly 800 combined yards of offense. Um, that game was a good one. It was a good one. It was a good one for me, too. Uh, I, th- I threaded the proverbial uh, gambling needle uh, last night. Uh, I had... Uh, I took the Giants plus four. The game went off at four. Um, I told you with my final score prediction that I liked the Giants plus the points last night, but I 
picked the Skins to win by two, 19-17. I thought the game would go low. I think one of the big surprises about the game is what an offensive shootout it turned out to be. Um, but I got the Giants plus four. Did not play the under, actually. I got the Giants plus four, and I got the Skins to win the game. It was perfect. Um, the win was a necessary win uh, as well. I mean, can you imagine if we're sitting here having this con- conversation about a 29-27 loss, Dustin Hopkins missing a field goal, um, you know, it would have been a, a very difficult uh, a 10, 9, 10, 11 days, whatever it is between now and the Buffalo game. Uh, we would have had Look, here's the thing about this game. There are legit concerns coming out of that game no matter no matter how thrilling it was and no matter that Washington won the game. But discussing those concerns after a win is so much more pleasant than after a loss, especially a loss that would have dropped them to 0-2 with Buffalo coming up. Uh, anyway, um, it was... Uh, It was a really good win, and more importantly, a necessary win. Not must, although it felt a little bit like it, uh, but it was a a necessary win. They got it. They're one and one, and now you can take a deep breath at least for a while. All right, let's get to my game take. Pay attention. Here's Here's Kevin's Kevin's game take. All right, let me go through the list of things that I liked first, then I'll touch on things that I did not like from the game, and there was uh, plenty of that, Uh, and then some additional observations from the game. Uh, On the list of things that I liked, it starts with Taylor Heineke. You know, that was a memorable game by Washington's starting quarterback last night. No matter what happens in the coming weeks or the rest of the year, He provided a memorable night for a fan base and a franchise that hasn't had many of them in recent years. You know, we can talk today about the reality, you know, some of the flaws like his accuracy, which is, you know, inconsistent at times, to to say the least. You know, we can talk about the near massive game-ending mistake um, that he made. Um, but as I said earlier on the radio show, I kind of feel like today that would be a bit trivial, a bit unimportant um, after the overall game that he played last night, which was much more good uh, than bad. He made so many plays, and, and the plays he made you know, were different than the plays I thought he would make, and I think many of you felt the same way. What we had seen in this very limited past experience with him is the ability to make throws with his legs, you know, being the escapability quarterback, and he's really been good at that. You know, the ability to extend plays and make plays. Uh, Last night, he made throws, big-time throws, clutch throws from the pocket all night long. His rushing numbers, four rushes, six yards. There were no scrambles last night. There was no moving the chains with his legs. There was no getting out of trouble Houdini style and pushing the ball with two hands to a a tight end that's open by himself. He delivered a shitload of completions from the pocket. And yes, it was against soft coverage most of the night. I think personally, the Giants thought, This guy can really hurt us with his legs. We're going to keep him in the pocket. We're not going to blitz him as much as we blitzed Bridgewater last week. And we're going to see if he can make throws against, you know, a lot of soft coverage, a lot of zone coverage, 
Um, we're going to see if he can do that and be patient enough to do that. Well, he did. He delivered. He did it all night long. He was very decisive, uh, as we've seen really prior to last night in the seven and a half quarters that we had already seen him play. Not a big sample size. More on that coming up. His release is really quick, even though the ball's not always perfectly thrown. You know, we can be honest about he played an A game. He did. He had an A game. The 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 t- the time uh, the timing of those drives in the fourth quarter, the resilience to bounce back from the interception. This was a B plus A minus game for him. You see the way I slipped in the B plus. I'd I'd put it at A minus. But it was a memorable game. He's got a quick release, but his accuracy um, is very inconsistent. And last night, his receivers really helped him out a ton on a bunch of throws that weren't necessarily accurate, a little bit not late necessarily, but thrown behind, thrown high. We talked uh, yesterday or maybe it was last week or earlier in the week about his miss tends to be high. Um, And we saw that last night, a lot of high balls. Um... But they they helped him out last night. But they can't help him out as receivers if he's too hesitant to let it fly in their direction. He's not bashful. He's not he's not fearful. He lets it fly. He's an aggressive quarterback. I think so far in all of the eleven and a half quarters we've seen him play, um, I think he makes good decisions pre-snap and post-snap. I think he's really decisive. I love that. He doesn't hold on to it. He gets rid of it, and he's unafraid to go on the attack. He's aggressive. I really like that about him. 34-46 for 336 yards and two touchdowns. You know, with two go-ahead drives in the final five minutes of the game. Pretty special stuff from a guy who just started the second regular season game of his career at 28 years old. It is just one game. I understand that. And the team he beat last night wasn't the best they will face. But I told you all week long that the Giants weren't what most of you thought, which was a cakewalk for Washington. You know, I told you the Giants are better than you think uh, and that Washington could absolutely lose this game. And I thought it was going to come down, as it did, not in a high-scoring game, but a lower-scoring game, to a field goal either way. Um, the competition's going to get stiffer for Heineke. You know, it's one game. We understand that. We're going to hold off on putting him into Canton at this point. With that said, and it's a wise thing to say, to say there's not a big enough sample size yet on him. With that said, we can also say he did have a damn good game. And he's played well now for 11 and a half quarters with this team. The 11 and a half I keep referring to, the one against Carolina last year, the four against Tampa in the playoff game, the two and a half against the Chargers last week, and the four last night. That adds up to 11 and a half quarters that he's played for Washington. Uh, he hasn't had one moment in those 11 and a half quarters where it looked like he was afraid of the moment or it looked like he didn't feel like he could succeed. It's a big part of this thing. He's got some baller. He's got some gamer in him. 
It was a memorable, memorable game. It was memorable mostly because of him. Mostly memorable because they won and how they won because he was resilient after a back-breaking pick and let him down the field for a game-winning field goal and produced the night he produced offensively. It's his first win. Let me under, let me make sure everybody un- understands that as a starting quarterback, he hasn't started many games. It's his first win. I'm looking forward to what comes next with him. I am. Uh, on the things that I liked list, Terry McLaurin. I think that was his best game of his career. I know he's had more passing yardage, pass receiving yardage, uh, but I think last night was A, the most number of times he's been targeted, which was 14, and B, the most receptions he's had in a game, which was uh, 11. 11 for 107 yards and a touchdown. He drew at least one penalty as well on the Giant defense, which resulted in a third down conversion. The Giants, again, weren't as aggressive with the Blitz as they were against Denver, but their coverage um, was just as soft as it was against Denver. It was very much a let everything underneath, let's go rally and make the tackle. In the case of the Denver game, it was we're going to send an extra pass rusher and we're going to try to really disrupt the quarterback who was uh, Teddy Bridgewater last week. Um, The soft coverage... Washington with Heineke and McLaurin made them pay and pay big time. That was a big time game for Terry McLaurin. Next thing up on the list of things that I liked uh, after uh, the two stars of the game, Taylor Heineke and Terry McLaurin, um, all of the other pass receivers, all of the other pass catchers, I thought played well. Logan Thomas, De'Ami Brown, Adam Humphreys, J.D. McKissick. They all made big-time plays, catches, and some of those catches on very inaccurate throws that they hauled in. Um, look, I want to make this clear. You know, the accuracy thing, accuracy thing and it's something I'm going to ask Jay Gruden, who knows quarterbacks, um, I've been told, you know, previously by other coaches, you know, the accuracy thing and the throwing with anticipation is something that you kind of are who you are. Now, I think he catch throws a catchable ball in terms of the velocity. I think he throws with touch, especially when he's playmaking, which there wasn't a lot of last night because he made most of his throws from the pocket. I love some things about him. He's decisive. He's obviously mobile. Um, he's got big you-know-whats, he's resilient, he's a gamer, he's a baller, all of those things. But last night his receivers really helped him out. I think there was only one drop. I guess J.D. McKissick dropped one, but I think that was going to be out of bounds anyway. Adam Humphreys on that final drive could have pulled in that one throw uh, from Heineke that he dropped. It would have been a good catch in traffic, but it was right there. It was a good throw. Um, but the receivers, the other pass catchers, had really good nights. Really good nights. Ricky Seals-Jones, you know, on that touchdown catch. What a big-time catch and getting both feet down that was. What a big-time catch. What a great throw. Now, the irony of that throw is that uh, it was late. It was one of the throws that he was late on and not totally decisive on, and yet he still made a perfect throw. I know that you're going to hear throughout um, and maybe for the next several you know, weeks that I don't think that Taylor Heineke is the next coming of Kurt Warner. I don't. 
but also understand that I really like a lot about him. And I don't want to see him out of the starting lineup now. I mean, I'm starting to think that we have seen the last of Ryan Fitzpatrick. But he makes a lot of plays. He also has, you know, this one flaw, which is his consistency in terms of accuracy isn't there. By the way, on the Seals-Jones catch, anybody else sort of notice that he makes a great catch, gets both feet in bounds, and then when he falls to the turf out of bounds, the ball hits the ground. Now, it didn't move in his hand when it hit the ground. But it all it, it sort of reminded me of the Calvin Johnson play from many, many years ago. Um, somebody mentioned to me, I think it was Brendan, my producer on radio, said, is it possible that he got three um, feet in? I don't think he did there. Um, Antonio, I, I think it's a touchdown catch. Of course it's a touchdown catch. I, that, that, that ending, which they didn't focus on at all, and I did not think that, that Joe Buck or Troy Aikman had a great night last night necessarily uh, calling the game. Uh, it just reminded me of the Calvin Johnson play from years ago uh, at Soldier Field. Um, Antonio Gibson's on the list of things that I liked. I I thought he should have gotten more touches. I think Scott Turner could have called a better game by giving Gibson more than 13 carries. He had 69 yards on 13 carries. That's 5.3 yards per carry. He keeps getting better. Uh, he's getting much better with his vision, and he's really a, a, a very high-level combination of power and speed. I think Gibson was really good last night. I just think he was underused last night. I thought John Allen had a monster game on defense. I really do. Um, two sacks in the game. I actually thought you know the interior, with the exception of a couple of runs, and obviously the big one by Barkley, but I thought they were pretty stout most of the night, um, which means that in addition to Allen playing well, uh, you know, Payne, Settle, et cetera, probably played well also. But Allen really stood out uh, with those uh, two sacks uh, in the game. Um, lastly, on the things that I liked list, um, I thought there was a significant turning point early in the game. Now, if it goes differently, I don't know if the game ends up being what it was. There were still three and a half quarters left, or you know, th- just over three quarters left in the game. But I thought it was a huge turning point, and it's on my good list because I think it benefited Washington significantly. So up 7 nothing, Washington um, – has punted twice now uh, in the game. They punted on their opening drive, uh, and then the Giants went down the field, scored a touchdown to take a 7-0 lead, and then Washington punted on their second drive. Two three-and-out punts. And so now the Giants are on the move again. We're approaching later in the first quarter. They're at the Washington um, 27-yard line facing a third down and two on the move. That was the drive where Barkley ripped off that 41-yard run. Down 7 nothing, You know, late first quarter. Giants on the move. Washington's offense has been out three and out twice, punted twice. I thought that this stretch of the Giants facing a third down and two, they're on a roll, and with two seconds left on the play clock, Joe Judge called a timeout. I thought that was a terrible decision. He thought the clock was going to run out and they were going to take a delay of game penalty. Daniel Jones looked over at him like, I had it. I had it. We were going to get the snap off. 
And I think he was. And so they didn't get to, to, to attempt the third and two. They called the timeout. They come back after the timeout, and Andrew Thomas false starts. Now it's third and seven at the 32. And then Daniel Jones gets sacked by a combination of Young and Sweat, loses six yards. Washington saves points with the, with the penalty and the sack. The Giants end up punting because they're out of field goal range. Washington takes the next drive, 13 plays, 90 yards, seven minutes elapsed. It's 7-7. Seven to seven. That was a big turning point. I know it's early and there's a lot of game left, and a lot of things could have played out differently had the Giants gone in and scored. But the Giants calling that timeout, Joe Judge calling that timeout was dumb. Uh, Daniel Jones had it. He knew what he was doing. They weren't, and at that point, they had not been stopped uh, you know, on one drive and so far on a second drive. And I just felt really like uh, Joe Judge ruined the momentum. He put a halt to the momentum. Jones got sacked. They punted to the 10. Washington answers with a crucial 90-yard, 13-play drive. It's 7-7. Seven to seven. That is the list of things that I liked. The, the reason that was on uh, the list of things that I liked is because it benefited Washington. Uh, a turning point, I thought, I thought very early in the game. All right, the list of things that I didn't like right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Second down, a long one. Jones keeps again. He was their leading rusher last week, and he is down the sideline. Gets a block. Touchdown. A flag is down at about the 12, and they're going to call a hold against the Giants. It'll be a big play, but no touchdown. Was that really a holding penalty on the Giants? Thought it was sort of sketchy. Uh, Big play for Washington. Big break for Washington. Um, in that wild 30 to 29 win uh, last night. You know, a game that was probably more lost by the Giants than won by Washington, but that's essentially 80% of NFL games. As Ken Beatrice, the legend 
in sports talk radio in this town once said, more games are lost than won. Uh, and the Giants made some crucial errors. The offside against Dexter Lawrence. Obviously, if that doesn't happen, Washington loses 29-27. And it's a far uh, different uh, discussion about the game uh, today. All right, uh, let me get to the list of things that I did not like uh, from the game. And that list uh, is lengthy um, as well. I'm going to start with the defense. You know, it was another disappointing defensive game for a defense that was billed uh, as something very special. It's been anything but in its first two games. There have been, you know, a few performances worth noting. John Allen last night. I thought last week Cam Curl had a decent game. I thought uh, last week that John Allen played well uh, in in game number one um, uh, also. You know, there's a reason to believe that the defense won't be an elite defense this year now after two games. Uh, that's clear that after two games, nobody watching Washington would say, oh, that's one of the best defenses in the NFL. It's been anything but. A lot of season left, a lot of season to go. They got, you know, the Giants last night. Daniel Jones was very good in the game. He was excellent. Uh, I don't know if he should have looked that good with that offensive line in front of him. And they had lost two offensive linemen. They lost the kid Gates with the broken leg, the fractured leg in game, and they lost a, a guard coming into the game. Washington just isn't generating enough consistent pass rush pressure. You know, you can look at the four sacks last night and think, oh, wow, what a pass rush last night. But it wasn't that good against a, a giant offensive line that was super limited. The defense didn't feast on a banged-up, subpar, giant offensive line. You know, that's for starters. Secondly, they clearly are struggling in coverage right now. Daniel Jones was dropping dimes to wide-open guys on all sorts of pass plays. You know, regular play action where they use the back at and show some run action and, you know, he pulls it and, and throws from the pocket. You know, they had a, a lot of read option style plays that he kept it, uh, you know, on. He rushed for over 90 yards. It would have been more without the holding penalty. Um, but they used read option as a form of play, uh, play action, uh, which you see a lot with read option quarterbacks. And there were RPOs in the game as as well. They actually got called for an ineligible receiver downfield. You know, for those of you that don't know, in the NFL, it's one yard, which means that your RPOs have to be super quick uh, because your offensive linemen are thinking run play. So they're blocking run on an RPO. If they're more than one yard down the field by the time you throw it, they're ineligible. In college, it's three yards, which is why RPOs work so much better and is used so much more in college. Um, but no matter what they did, people were wide open, like last week. You know, on many of the incompletions, there were defensive penalties, a few of them truly blatant, like Kendall Fuller's tackling of Sterling Shepard on a third and seven. Landon Collins grabbed Kyle Rudolph on a third and seven. I'm, I'm not even mentioning, mentioning uh, you know, one or two others. Let's face it, this was another game where the team that they faced should have put up even more points than they did. You had that hold that we just played coming into the segment. Daniel Jones, uh, you know, scores in that touchdown run. If that isn't called, I thought it was a bit ticky-tack. Uh, you know, I thought it was a bit sketchy. I'm not sure it was a hold. 
The Giants really hurt themselves with penalties on offense, false starts. Several of them uh, created third and longers that led to field goals. Um, You had the drop touchdown pass uh, by Slayton after he got behind everybody in coverage, beat Jackson. I have no idea if Jackson was expecting safety help. It looked like he thought he was. Uh, But they should have scored more uh, in this game. Um, And Washington got a little fortunate defensively that they didn't give up a lot more in points. You know, this is the second consecutive game that the Washington defense has given up you know, essentially 400 yards of offense. 391 was the final total in the game. The Chargers last week, 424. Uh, the third down defense was a little bit better from a number standpoint, but still was, you know, sort of based on some penalties that gave them third and super long. And then they checked down like twice. Uh, Jones checked down for field goal range on a third and 13, and then he ran and scrambled on a third and long to get in field goal range on another play. So it wasn't like the third down stops um, were stops early in drives that got him off the field. Um, I want to mention this because clearly there is some frustration with Ron Rivera and the defensive coaching staff. Ron Rivera, who comes on my radio show now once a week during the season, and yesterday because of the Thursday night game, uh, I actually recorded him late Wednesday and ran it yesterday morning. And one of the things he said to me is he said, we've got to be more mature. We've And I said, well, what does that mean specifically? And I asked him this a week ago. It's like the third or fourth time he has said, my biggest concern about the team is maturity. And to net it out, basically what he's talking about is I need the guys to understand they have to do their job. This scheme is dependent on everybody doing their responsibilities and not getting outside of the scheme. So there are guys that are not playing within the scheme. They're not playing the play that's called the way it's supposed to be played. I think one of those players is Chase Young. It's a guess. I don't know that for sure. But there was a play last night that I'm going to mention real quickly. If you recall on the first play, it might have been the second play of the fourth quarter, Del Rio decides to start sending some pressure, and he blitzes Kendall Fuller out of the slot. Uh, And he's blitzing Kendall Fuller out of the slot on the right side of the defensive line where he is right next to to Chase Young. Now, on that particular play, typically, and I threw this out on the radio because I wasn't sure, and I asked you know coaches that I know to text me to let me know if I was right or wrong, but typically, Chase Young has a responsibility if there is a safety or a corner slot blitz right off of his right side, and that is to take the left tackle inside to clear up a free blitzing lane for the slot corner to get right to the quarterback in the shortest possible you know, line. So if you watch Chase Young on that play, he doesn't take the tackle inside. He goes outside. He goes outside so much that he nearly tripped Kendall Fuller. I think, and I don't know this for sure, That may have been 
his responsibility. And certainly if the slot corner is going to loop blitz, well, then he goes outside. But if he's going to blitz right off of that corner, you know, right next to the uh, right off the the left tackle, well, then it's the DN's responsibility to occupy and bring that left tackle away from the lane to the quarterback for the blitzer. Chase Young got in the way of Fuller. Now, Fuller pulled it off, and it was a big play in the game. I think, you know, that is a play. I think Bostic last week in coverage on the third and 16. I think there are some players that aren't playing their responsibility, and I think Chase Young's one of them. Uh, Let me repeat. I think Chase Young is a phenomenal talent. I think he's had some moments in these first two games. He has. Last night, though, he had two crucial penalties, had a neutral zone and had a roughing the passer. And I did think that that unnecessary roughness on um, on Daniel Jones was, was the right call because all of his body weight landed on Jones. Uh, that was the right call. I think, I think Pereira backed that up. He's got to understand that. He's got to lay off or he's got to move his body in another direction. Jones didn't have the ball. All of his body weight came down hard on Jones. They're going to call that in this league. That's a big call, 15 yards. He had a neutral zone this week. He had a neutral zone last week. And I think on that fuller corner slot blitz, I'm just guessing, but I made a note to myself when I saw it, what the hell is Chase Young getting in the way of fuller for? Maybe that's the way it's called. Several coaches who listen to the radio show, I've got two or three high school coaches that listen, all texted me immediately. I'll read one of them, actually. Um, And actually, I'm reading uh, a former player who texted me the following uh, when I said this. Uh, And he said, you're right um, on the defensive end. They are uh, to shorten the corner for the outside blitz. Unless corner is supposed to go in the B-gap, which would be more, you know, of a loop, you know, back inside. Um, and that wasn't what you know Kendall Fuller, Kendall Fuller was doing. Who knows? Maybe that's what Kendall Fuller was supposed to do, and Chase Young had it right. I don't know. Uh, another disappointing game for the defense. It would be a lot worse if they were 0-2. They've got time to fix it, but they have had two rough outings in a row. Next on my list of things that I didn't like, I didn't think they ran the ball enough in this game. 46 passes to 22 throws. Uh, Daniel Gibson, uh, Daniel Gibson, Antonio Gibson had 13 carries for 69 yards. He averaged 5.3 yards per carry. I think if Scott Turner had it to do over again, I know it was easy against that soft coverage to pitch and catch it with Heineke and to feed McLaurin over and over again, which I loved. But I think Gibson needs more than 13 touches as a runner, you know, and more than two touches as a pass receiver. But as a runner last night, I think they could have run the ball. Now, I think they thought coming into the game that the Giants are incredibly stout against the run, and this is the way we're going to move the football. And when they realized that the Giants were playing soft, saying, hey, uh, we're not going to blitz this guy and let him make plays with his legs. We're going to keep him in the pocket and see if he can complete pass after pass after pass, you know, in front of our you know, uh, zone coverage um, with soft coverage uh, pretty much everywhere. Uh, then then let him do it, and then we'll try to tighten up in the red zone. I just still think that 46-22 to 22 in a game that's, you know, back and forth, not, you know, you're down by two scores and you're throwing to try to get back into it because it's late. Um, I, I didn't think Gibson got enough 
uh, runs in the game. Um, that is the penalties once again. Uh, nine penalties, 80 yards. Um, not good. Um, some of those penalties, uh, you know, obviously uh, hurtful um, in terms of, you know, the unnecessary roughness, the uh, the PIs on on Fuller and Collins, and I think there's one other one. I think uh, Jackson had one as well. Um, several of them were on third down. So Washington now in two games has 17 penalties in two games. Fortunately, their opponents have a bunch of penalties too. Last night the Giants had 11, although I think that holding penalty uh, was bullshit. I, I really did. I thought I, I thought Jones, by the way, was incredibly impressive. Um, in the game. Uh, I thought his running ability, his read option runs, I thought he threw it well. I thought he played very smart situational football. Those two third and longs when they were at a field goal range, he made a throw to get him into field goal range. He made a run to get him into field goal range. Um, I thought he was uh, very, very good um, last night. Uh, Okay, lastly, um, a couple of other observations. First of all, how about Graham Gano? Wow, what a player. You know, I mentioned the turning point in the game where they got knocked out of field goal range. Actually, Gano has the range from where they got, you know, after that sack, I think it would have been about a 56-yarder. He kicked, you know, in the game um, a 55-yarder. Uh, he, remember, he kicked for Washington back, you know, uh, in 2010 and 11, something like that was their kicker. Uh, he's gone on to have a fabulous career. Um, as a as a kicker, five for five last night, including that fifty five yarder late in the game, which gave them a, a six point lead, um, which also came after the Slayton drop touchdown pass that would have given the Giants a thirty to twenty lead with five you know with about five and a half six minutes to go in the game. That could have been a true death knell, um, but uh, uh, Graham Gano uh, gave him that six point lead. Uh, he was terrific. And and Hopkins, you know, he missed the kick, and we would have been in here calling for, you know, Eddie Pinheiro to be the kicker against Buffalo. Uh, but he was three for three or two for two going into that kick. He had made a 49-yarder uh, in the game. Uh, he had made a 37-yarder in the game. Then he missed the 48-yarder but made the 43-yarder after the offsides against Dexter Lawrence. Um, There was a situation in the game that uh, I think many of you thought um, Ron Rivera aired, uh, not going for fourth and three when they were down uh, 23 to 17. It was about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter, 20 to 17. He's facing a fourth down and three at the giant 19 yard line. I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, you can hit me with all of the fourth down analytics you want. Um, you know, you're in a game where, you know, it's score to score. They're kicking field goals. You're kicking field goals. You're cu- going to cut the lead to three. You're going to get the ball back again. Maybe it's after another score, and it might be a devastating score. It might be 30-20 to because the Giants might get a touchdown. And sure enough, Slayton dropped that pass that could have made it 30-20. to But uh, in context, Washington at that point was like 3-for-11 or 3-for-12 on third down, so you know Ron wasn't very confident, I don't think, in their ability to get fourth and three. 
you know, if he had gone for it, I wouldn't have had a problem for it. I think it was very much a 50-50 thing and a feel thing for him. Did he have the right play? Did he feel like he had the right situation to make a fourth and three? And remember, even if you make a fourth and three there, there's no guarantee that you're not going to be kicking a field goal three downs later anyway. But um, either way, I was fine with the decision uh, in that particular spot. It made it 23-20. to 20. The Giants then drove it back down the field. Slayton dropped the pass, but they kicked a field goal, 26-20. And then obviously the two throws um, to McKissick and to Ricky Seals-Jones gave him the lead. By the way, I think um, one of Heineke's most important throws was on the final drive of the game when they were in very long field goal range um, with the clock. I thought they managed the clock very well in that final drive. God, Aikman and Buck were a little bit panicked like they weren't. I thought they were totally fine in their pace on the final drive. They just needed field goal range. You know, this is why Judge handled it so poorly on his end. Way too conservative. Um, But I really thought they handled it well. They called the timeouts exactly the way you wanted to call the timeouts. You didn't want to call them too early. You didn't want to end up kicking a field goal and 30 seconds remain on the clock. They handled it very well. Um, But I thought that the key throw, they were at the giant giant, uh, 36-yard line. Uh, first and 10 with about 25 seconds to go, and Heineke makes a, a throw to McLaurin underneath. They're out of timeouts, still plenty of time. You know, if he incomplete, it's fine. If you catch it, it's fine. you got plenty of time to go up there and spike it. But they needed more yards. That's a 53-yard kick. Hopkins, remember, missed one last week from uh, long distance. They needed, you know, another 5 to 10 yards. And I thought Heineke made the, a really good throw. The, the Ricky Seals-Jones throw was phenomenal. Um, the throw to McKissick down the sideline led him perfectly that turned that into such a big gain. But that McLaurin throw was low. It was on at the McLaurin outside. No chance of getting picked. Only a chance for McLaurin to catch it or for it to be incomplete. And McLaurin made the catch, six, seven-yard gain, put him at the giant, like, 30-yard uh, line, which set up the, you know, the 48-yard field goal. They, they officially reviewed that play to see if it was a catch. They came back, and Washington did the smart thing, which was not run another snap, don't risk anything, you know, line it up, let the clock run down to two or three seconds and spike it. I think they spiked it with five seconds left. Send Hopkins out there, and we know the rest of the story. Hopkins misses. Thank you, Dexter Lawrence. Hopkins makes. Game over. Um, that is pretty much it. Uh, I um, I thought the officiating, you know, uh, there were a couple of calls, and I've mentioned them. Uh, you know, McKissick clearly had a first down on that one run when he sort of got tripped up by the turf, but nobody touched him. I don't know how that call gets confirmed on the field, but they made it on the next play anyway, and I thought the the hold on the Daniel Jones touchdown run uh, was uh, pretty ridiculous. Um, there was one other thing, just real quickly. The Giants on their very first possession, if you go back to the very first possession of the game, Washington punts, and there's a holding penalty after there was a return. The return uh, was Julius Peppers all the way out to like the 46-yard line. And the hold was right around there. It wasn't necessarily behind him. I couldn't figure out how the Giants started that next drive from their own 21. They, like, started the drive 25 yards 
behind where the holding penalty was. That was an observation. Anyway, I could be wrong. Maybe the holding penalty was in a different spot. Um, I know the crowd uh, was listed at fi- just over 50,000. Uh, I, I know that Sunday's crowd, the actual was like between 40 and 45. Uh, I heard last night was essentially the same between 40 and 45. Lots more Giant fans than Charger fans. Pretty much an estimate across the board of of a 60-40, 65-35 Washington fans to Giant fans. But there was a lot of blue there. But I thought it got really loud at the end of that game. It was too good of a game not to be into it. I thought it got loud, and I thought it helped a little bit uh, defensively. All right, that's uh, that's the game take. That's the game recap. Jay Gruden will be my guest right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right, joining us now on the podcast for the second time, he joined us, I don't know, six months ago or so, uh, the former head coach of the Washington football team, Jay Gruden. And, you know, I was thinking about you and, and having you on the show today, um, on a Friday following, you know, a Thursday night national game. So I figured you would watch it because you're not watching every game at the same time on Sundays, which I have a feeling you might be doing. But I will ask you here momentarily what, how you're spending your Sundays now. But I'm assuming you did watch the game last night. So from a coach's perspective, if somebody, and, and let's call that somebody another coach that really knows football, called you up this morning and said, what happened in the game last night? Tell me what happened in the game. Give me a few minutes on the game. How would you describe it? Well, I'll tell you what. I think, uh, first of all, Washington's quarterback played his butt off for not having a lot of reps in training camp. Heineken came in there did a great job of competing. I think back and forth, Daniel Jones had some moments of greatness in that game. He looked like he's getting better and better as the weeks go by. So what everybody thought was going to be a defensive battle actually turned out to be some pretty good offensive football. And, of course, in a heated rivalry game, it comes down to a play or two at the end of the game. And it was a missed field goal, but it was an offside, and then it was a field goal, game over. So a uh, very exciting game to watch, surprising game to watch with how much offensive fireworks there were, uh, but a great game uh, at that. And it was good to watch the football team got the win. So if I'm the coach talking to you, so Heineke played well? And, and how so? I think he managed the game well, other than the pick at the end. It could have been very costly. Uh, it was great to see him bounce back and get that drive down the field goal to get Hopkins in position to kick the field goal to really uh, redeem himself. Uh, but uh, he, he played well, I thought. I thought he moved around, avoided the rush, uh, kept drives alive with his legs at times, uh, got Terry McLaurin involved in the game, which they desperately needed uh, from last week, and, and uh, managed the game. You know, I, I agree with you. I think everybody was expecting a defensive battle last night. Nobody knew what to expect, really. Heineke's first regular season start. I mean, he he had only played seven and a half quarters for Washington coming in to the game last night. And most of the plays that he made in previous games were outside the pocket with his legs 
and it seemed to me that the Giants, and tell me if you think uh, this is correct, the Giants decided they were going to play a little bit soft and keep him in the pocket and see if he could beat him from the pocket, which he did. Yeah, they played a lot of zones, and uh, you know, some key situation. They tried to play some man-to-man and got uh, kind of, uh, but uh, but yeah, I think that's probably the recipe when you're playing a young quarterback that can move. You just don't want him to beat you with his legs. And uh, the Giants were obviously intent on playing some zones, softer zones, and trying to keep him in the pocket. Um, it, it worked in some stages, but for the most part, for the Washington football team to get 30 on him, I know the Giants had no. Would have thought before the game, there's no way the Washington football team could score 30. Uh, but that's off the Heineken and, and, and uh, Washington. Other than, you know, being a gamer and being a baller and being resilient, um, which, you know, we've already seen some of that from him uh, in the limited time that we've seen him. Um, what does he do well? What doesn't he do well? Well, consistently, consistently, you, you have no idea yet. You know, he does have some flashes of being accurate, but it's not consistent yet. So he can, you know, he needs to work on that, obviously. He, he is very mobile in the pocket, which is uh, beneficial to the offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, because, you know, he can't call the perfect play all the time. And for your quarterback to be able to bail you out with his legs is a great benefit to have. So then he has that. He's got the toughness, obviously. He's got the competitive spirit that you want. Obviously, he needs to see more. He hasn't played a whole lot of football, even though he's been in the league six years. He hasn't played a lot. So he's got to see the defense. He's got to see the movement, the different coverages, where he goes with the ball quickly uh, before he bails. Sometimes he bails too quick out of the pocket and gives up on, on uh, plays down the field. So, uh, But I think there's a lot to like in the limited exposure that he has and it's something you can build on. So uh, I think the Washington football team and their coaches got to be excited about the prospects of this kid moving forward. You mentioned something that I already mentioned in, in my recap. I, I think that his accuracy is inconsistent at best. He throws high a lot. I think his receivers last night really made some outstanding catches. In your experience, when you're inconsistent with accuracy, is that something you can improve and become you know, eventually a deadly accurate thrower? Or is that something that is tougher to change at 28 years old? Yeah, that's a tough thing to change. A lot of time, anticipation and accuracy are hard to coach, to be honest with you. I mean, I mean really, either you have it or you don't. Uh, there are certain things you can do footwork-wise, fundamental-wise, and I'm sure Kenny Zampese, the quarterback coach, has got him through the gauntlet as far as doing uh, drills to work on his fundamentals with his feet in the pocket and ball security and all that good stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're a 60 55% passer in college and pro, you're probably going to be that the rest of your career. You know, the one guy who I think has really turned over a leaf as far as accuracy is concerned is Josh Allen. You know, when he came out of Wyoming, I was like, this guy is the most inaccurate guy I've ever seen. And then he's, he's really turned a corner. So it can't be done. It just doesn't happen very often. Do you notice um, the observation that I made? Uh, his misses are always high, not low, not in the dirt. He seems to throw the ball high, even on completions. Yeah. Yeah, that, that has a tendency of throwing off your back foot a lot. You're not transferring your weight. Uh, that's the number one reason for quarterbacks and young quarterbacks throwing high. They're not stepping into throw and, and getting that follow through all the way through. But uh, And maybe the rush has something to do with it last night. There was some good penetration last night by the Giant defense, but uh, throwing the ball high usually means you're throwing it off your back foot and, and uh, not quite believing in what you're seeing and throwing. So you just got to step in the throw a little bit. 
And the more reps he gets, the more time he gets. I mean, he, you have to think about it. Now, they probably didn't even practice full-speed rep this week. Right. He hasn't had many reps with the first team with Terry and all those guys uh, with the first team since Ryan was a starter. So I think he's going to get better and better the more reps he gets. Um, but as far as being uh, Aaron Rodgers-type accurate guy by week four or five, I doubt it. You're going to have to have some pains of, oh, man, he missed that throw throughout the game. Uh, but he will make plays that – certain guys can't make with his legs and his toughness and his competitive spirit. What happened on the interception? What did you see on that play? Oh, they ran a zone beater. It was a little spot with uh, the back run on a wide route, and I think the Giants played man-to-man, and uh, and Terry was supposed to stop right there in the zone. When the linebacker cleared to take the running back, Terry was supposed to stop and replace him, and he did. The ball was a little bit thrown inside, and, and the defensive back, uh, Bradbury, made a heck of a play. He drove on it and, and got a pick, and that happens. You know, It's not a great play for man-to-man. But if you get it, you just want to throw it low and away uh, in a place where the DB can't get it. And I think he just missed that throw inside. Maybe he thought Terry was going to go a little bit inside more. But it wasn't Terry's fault. It was just a good play by Bradbury and not a great throw uh, by Heineke. I thought when the Giants took over there, there was this sense that you know Heineke had just made a, a back-breaking, game-ending play. But there were two and a half minutes left, and Washington had all three timeouts left. I thought the Giants got way too conservative there, and they should have been thinking, you know, touchdown, certainly first down, um, to put themselves into a position to burn more of the clock. Did you think they got too conservative there? I have to agree with you a little bit there because. Washington had three timeouts left and over two minutes to go in the game, and, and uh, they really hadn't had a lot of success running the football. Uh, and Washington's defense is pretty good at stopping the run. Payne and Allen and Ionitis, and those, I know Ionitis got hurt, but in uh, the edge setters with Sweat, and uh, they're pretty good against the run. Um, and to try to force two runs right up the middle to put yourself in third and long, knowing that the two minute warning's coming up and the Washington football team still has another timeout left. Uh, put Daniel Jones in a tough situation on third and eight. Obviously, they threw an incompletion and had to kick the field goal and left Washington with plenty of time. But I, I, the Giants had way more success throwing the football than they did running the football. So I think uh, if Jason had to have that sequence back, he probably would have thrown the ball on first down or at least second down. Yeah, I mean, and the, the second down would have been the opportunity probably, especially after a, a run where maybe defensively um... – uh, there's they, a lot of passes you can call that are extensions of the running game. You don't right. have to force the ball down the field. So, you know, there's bootlegs you can do. There's uh, rollouts. There's there's a lot of plays that you can do quick game uh, screens or bubble screens, receiver screens, what have you. A lot of things you can do that are very uh, – they're, they're not very dangerous, not very high risk, but high reward type plays that can get you outside and get the ball in your playmaker's hands uh, quickly and efficiently uh, as opposed to running – that Deron Payne, which is not a very easy <laughs> right, <to do. laughs> right. And, or, or at least, you know, in, in, in the red zone, I mean, Jones is such a good, you know, read option uh, quarterback. He's he, the, the, the ball fakes are, are exceptional spread, you know, run that, you know, and, and if, if he reads it where he, he leaves it with Barkley, at least there's more room and they, they're looking at the quarterback as a run threat, right? Yeah, I mean, he had success doing that. I think Daniel had like, what, he had like 80 yards rushing or yeah. something like that. So, yeah, he can definitely – he's a lot more athletic than people give him credit for. He can run, and uh, that is a great uh, option. That and the RPOs, you know, where you're spreading the defense out, you're reading the linebacker, the linebacker plays the run, you, you throw it to your receivers outside on either a bubble screen or some uh, route. Those are effective as well down there in that type of situation. So, you know, I think uh, at the end of the day, Saquon Barkley is their best player, so – 
uh, give him a couple opportunities. I can see where Jason's coming from on that, but uh, obviously we have the ability to know what happened, and uh, I'm sure they would rather have try to pass their on first or second down. Yeah, you love the second guessing um, from all of us uh, after, the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after the fact. But if but, you would have thrown the ball and they would have been incomplete, they yeah. would have crushed Jason for not giving the ball to Saquon Barkley. Yeah, or or, or intercepted. Way, that's a tough situation. Yeah, yeah, or intercepted, God forbid. But you know, but but in all seriousness, did you, you first guessed it right? Like, this is too conservative. Yeah, but you know, on the flip side of it is, you make them use two timeouts, which they did. Um, disappointing that they didn't have to use their third timeout, or at least let the two minute warning go. So now they got it; they gained a timeout by not running the ball on third down or just keeping the ball in play. It was an incompletion. That was the worst case scenario. But then again, you are getting the lead, and you're kicking the ball off, and you're making uh, Heineke beat you in a two-minute drill. So uh, I'm sure Joe Judge had something to say about that. Hey, we're going to kick this field goal. We're not going to lose the game here. We're going to make Heineke beat us, and unfortunately for the Giants, Heineke beat them. By the way, how about Gano as a kicker? That guy can kick, man. I mean, he can can really kick. I mean – Wasn't he here here before I got here? Yeah, he was here for three years. Before you got here, um, and uh, and and why did we keep him? I'm sorry. <laughs> I love Hopkins. Why did we keep him? I love Hopkins, but uh, you know we had to go through a lot of kickers before Hopkins. I mean, he's oh man, he, he doesn't miss. Yeah, they they um they signed um Jesus. I'm trying to think who who came in because it wasn't Hop then. Um, no, no, we had uh, four bath when I got here. They they um. They ended up with Forbath and a bunch of other people in 2012. Yeah, Forbath in 2012 and in 2013, like whatever. That guy was good. He doesn't have a powerful leg that Gano has, but guy, guy is an accurate kicker. Yeah. Good. Well, Hop has a powerful leg. I mean, you you dealt with him, and you know, there's been a lot of of talk about Hopkins going back, to, you know, to the preseason that they didn't bring in any competition for him. He missed some big kicks last year. He missed some big kicks for you in 2016. Uh, you know, you and I went through the 2016 season several months ago, but the kick in London that he missed. He missed two on Thanksgiving Day against the Cowboys that would have made a big difference. He missed one in Detroit that would have made a big difference. I mean, he alone could have carried that team to the postseason. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a young kid. He's got a powerful leg. I love Hop. You know, he, he's done some good things, too. Now he's made some critical kicks as well. Uh, but you're right, there, there, there have been some opportunities that uh, he has missed from time to time. But for the most part, I think he's a pretty solid NFL kicker in Washington. Lucky to have him. You know, having a kicking competition is easier said than done. What are you going to do in practice? You're going to like, okay, there's one play left. Who's going to make the kick? And, you know, it's not the same. You can't really do it. And in the preseason, how many opportunities you really get, meaningful opportunities you're going to get for the competition to take place. You know, so it's, it's just hard to do. Plus, it eats up a roster spot with guys being injured and COVID reserve and all this stuff. You need those roster spots for big guys or or skilled guys to run. So uh, easier said than done than having a kicking competition. Many people who are listening laugh at me because I've said over and over ad nauseum, I said Hopkins is the guy that when he shows up, coaches love him because the ball explodes off his foot. It gets immediate elevation. It gets up in the air, and it's just a he's got a, a big, strong, powerful, ball-gets-up-quickly kind of a leg that coaches like. Is there truth in that? Oh, for sure. I mean, the special team coach loves them because they don't have to work on kickoff cover. Right. The ball is a touchback. Anytime you want, it's a touchback. You know what I mean? So, uh, 
if you want to kick it deep and pop it up at the one yard line and try to pin the pin pin them back, you can do that. But most coaches, let's just kick it out of the end zone and let's give Cordell Patterson or some of these uh, unique return guys an opportunity. Give them the ball at the twenty-five, and how can do that in his sleep? And that's an important part of the game. That's why I think that's what sets him uh, over the top as far as being your starting kicker. He might have a miss or two, like most kickers do, but uh, his strength of leg and his ability to make a fifty-five or sixty-yard field goal at the end of a game uh, is is critical. Did you think he'd make the second one after missing the first one? Oh yeah, I didn't think he'd miss the first one, uh, but yeah, I, I knew he'd make the second one. All right, um, back to uh, back to Heineke for a moment. Um, so what hasn't happened so far here is that the opponent hasn't had the ability to truly prepare for Taylor Heineke. Even the Buccaneers, they had one quarter of Taylor Heineke to prepare for. He came in in the fourth quarter against Carolina late in the year. Um, but and in this game, as you pointed out, it was a super short week, not a lot of reps and not a lot of prep time for the opponent either. How will a long period to prepare for him, a full week, which Buffalo will have next week, um, how will that change things, if at all? I don't think it changes things a whole lot, you know, other than the fact that you know you need to alert your defensive lineman really big time to stay in the rush lanes, which you do every week anyway, unless you're playing guys that can't move, which there aren't very many of those guys anymore. So really, you're preparing for a system. You're playing for you're preparing for team and players, offensive linemen, tight ends. You got to prepare for Logan Thomas. You have to prepare for uh, Terry McLaurin. Are you going to travel uh, light with them or not? You know, there are certain things you can do, but for the most part. They're going to play their defense, and they play hard. They play physical. Uh, they don't care who the quarterback is for the most part. Uh, they're just going to go out there and play their cover six, their cover four, what they do, their cover threes, and, and uh, get after the quarterback. Um, who does he remind you of? There have been comparisons here recently to a guy that you coached last year, Gardner Minshew. Um, who, who does he remind you of? Ah, he's only played a couple games. I, I don't know. He just he reminds me uh, – I, I, really don't have an answer for you off the top of my head um is know, is there like some Minshew in him uh yeah I'd say so I think he's a little more athletic than Gardner Gardner scrambles around there but uh I think this kid's more athletic I think he's more physically athletic uh than Gardner I mean he's bigger he's probably faster uh he sees better down the field probably so uh, but yeah I think the way they play with their competitive spirit and their toughness uh there is a lot uh comparisons there I um when I saw him play that t- Tampa game, I-, I said, "Look, I don't know what he is, and none of us even do after eleven and a half quarters of him playing." But I thought his style was reminiscent of Jeff Garcia, or or maybe a, a Jay Gruden in the uh, in the in, in the, the Arena League. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I don't know if he's as accurate as Jeff. Jeff was pretty ac- accurate. Yeah, right. Uh, but true. You're right. There are there are some fire others. There's some uh, uh, plays that you're like, what the heck is going on? Fire drill plays. But uh, for the most part, I think uh, and that's going to happen with a quarterback that hasn't got the reps. You know, he might abort his first uh, uh, progression. And instead of going to a second progression, he might turn into a scramble fire drill, which is which is a lot of young quarterbacks do. It's hard for them to get off their first progression, second progression, move their feet, work their eyes, uh, and get in position to make those reads uh, effortlessly, which will come in time uh, the more reps he gets. Uh, but to have the ability to run and the toughness that he has, I think Washington football team must like him. Um, I'm, I'm surprised the way he played at the end of the year. He didn't get a chance to really earn that starting job, but they did get go out and get fits, uh, and uh, that was a good pickup for him. But now it's Heineke's team and see how he does. 
Yeah, so Ron Rivera doesn't have to make this decision um, for several weeks, and there will be a lot more you know, to uh, measure and, and go on in terms of performances. But right now, as a coach, what would be your gut after watching him last night if you're coaching this team and Fitzpatrick – you know, it was a $10 million one-year signing to come in as a veteran and a guy that had played really well the last couple of years. Um, you know, he apparently could be ready uh, mid-season. What would be your gut this morning about Heineke's chances of starting the rest of the year? Well, I'd be uh, – I'm just happy we won the game. There's a lot of things. That sure. We were lucky to get this win. First of all, we got – I mean, they, they don't jump off sides if you're going to. Right. Uh, that's just – that's a fact. Yeah. And the interception was costly. So the jury's still out. There's still the good thing is he has a lot of games here, uh, uh, body work that he could put together to earn the job. And when Fitz comes back and, and Fitz, this has happened to him before where he's gotten injured or they brought in a young quarterback and he's played well and he's had to play backup. You know, this has happened to Fitz. It won't be his first rodeo. And he's the type of guy that'll handle it. He'll be disappointed. But if Heineke plays well and they rattle off three or four wins with this tough schedule that they have, I would be surprised if they went back to Fitz. Now, if they struggle on offense and and uh, you know he doesn't perform well, then obviously Fitz will come back and he'll take the reins and try to push him to the playoffs. All right, no, I I understand that. But what would you predict right here this morning? Do you think Taylor Heineke is the rest uh, the rest of the year starter? Is that your oh, that's gut? That's a good prediction. My crystal ball. If I pulled out my crystal, yeah. Ball, if you had to bet on this, what would you bet? Back, I think uh, I think uh, Fitzpatrick will come back and be the starter. Oh, really? Okay. That's, that's, a, just, that's just my gut. That's I mean, st- I'm pulling for Heineke. I hope he does well and he earns the job. But, you know, at the other day, Fitz did beat him out all the training camp and, and the OTAs uh, for a reason. Uh, obviously, he was the better player because if they thought that Heineke was better than Fitz, then they would have played Heineke, right? If they thought Heineke was a long-term starter, they would, wouldn't have been as aggressive as they were in the offseason looking for exactly. a that's, starting that's quarterback. That's my point. There's, there's might be a work there we haven't seen yet. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, but, you know, some guys, some guys perform better on game day than they do in practice. You know, that's just a fact. There's, I've been around a lot of guys that are horrible practice players, but when the lights cut on, they play better. And that is the case with a lot of quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks watch the ball in practice like, golly, we have no chance. His game, game comes on. You know, Gardner Minshew had a lot of that. You know, in practice, you're like, we're not going to get a yard. And then the game cuts on, and he, he scrambles around and makes some plays. And I think that's the case with Heineke right now. Yeah, there there appears to be some of that. You mentioned Minshew. What about a player you coached here that you, you know, would roll your eyes watching him in practice, thinking that he had no chance, but then you were forced to play him, and it turned out that you know he was just a gamer that that he rose to the occasion. Oh boy, that was uh, oh Deshaun Jackson. You know, he was a terrible practice player. He didn't really want to practice. <laughs> the game cuts on. He throws a deep ball to him. It's a touchdown. You're like, I love this guy. You know, in practice, you Deshaun, would you just run the route? And then in the game, he'd run the route and be a touchdown. Well, Deshaun was a great example. But he was, you know, you know Deshaun. Deshaun was, he already had a body of work out there with Philadelphia and, yeah. and already mass production. So you already knew what Deshaun would be. That's a bad example. But uh, from a quarterback standpoint, I actually was kind of like that. I was a terrible practice player, but the game cut on. I usually was able to be successful. But uh, Colt McCoy had a little bit of that. You know, he was he was not a greatest practice player and, and uh, had an opportunity in some games did pretty well. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's different. Some offensive linemen are like that. They can't block, but the game cuts on. They, they, Morgan Moses wasn't a great practice player, but uh, did pretty well in, in game. What about the flip side of that? The guy that practiced great and, and shrunk from the occasion when the lights were on? 
Well, I don't want to tell you. Oh, okay, that's, that's fine. That's fine. That'd be, that'd that's be fine. Bad. But, but that'd be, we'll, it had to be a headline in the newspaper. <laughs> okay, in I'm not going to put you. I didn't mean to put you in that all. position. Yeah, right? yeah. But I know I. I could go. I could. Well, I could name a lot of guys with that. Well, you know, you know why. <laughs> a lot of coaches too. I'm probably a coach like that too. So. You, you know why I, I I thought to ask you. Well, first of all, it was a natural follow up, but really there was this story yesterday that Kime wrote, um, and actually it was an ESPN story about the 30 quarterbacks, 30 that have started for Washington since Mark Rippon was here as a Super Bowl MVP in 1991. 30 different quarterbacks have started, and they ranked them. And, you know, uh, uh, Kirk ended up being one. Brad Johnson was two. I personally would have had Brad Johnson one and Kirk two. RG3's first year was essentially the third best, and then it was just a lot of dudes that were terrible. But there was a quote from Santana Moss. Santana said about John Beck. You remember John Beck? Yeah. He essentially said John Beck, in, uh, he, was, he and Cooley were quoted in, in talking about Beck. The guy called everybody in the offseason and, and introduced himself as the team's starting quarterback. He was a bit presumptuous before the season started. And so they're all looking at around saying, all right. And then when he got in the game, he literally soiled himself. Apparently, he was great in layup lines. He looked phenomenal going through layup lines. But when he was asked to go into the game, he didn't do anything. And Santana's quote was, John Beck sucked ass. And he said he was a guy that talked a big game, and when the lights came on, he couldn't do anything. Um, and that's why it sort of reminded me uh, in the moment of that. Meantime, Beck, you know, coaches college quarterbacks and tutors them for for the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, just because you don't have to. I mean, he obviously had his talent to make it to the NFL. Uh, and some people, when the lights got on, they, they, they have problems. They get nervous, and, and all the things that they've learned, their fundamentals, their reads, their progressions as a quarterback go through the window. When those pass rushers get in a three-point stance and they're coming for you, uh, some quarterbacks don't handle that very well. Some love it, uh, but some don't, unfortunately. And that's what you have to figure out. That's what these next five or six games are going to be for Heineke. Obviously, you could tell that he's not afraid of anything, no. which is a great sign for a quarterback. You know what I mean? You can't coach that. So that's that part of his game, check checks the box so you're excited about that now we have to see the position uh played uh efficiently and consistently for heineke to earn this job uh, as a starter when fitz comes back how good's terry mclaurin oh he's the best i love that kid you know you, you talk about uh high character players uh that have a skill set that makes your team better a work ethic that makes your team better uh that makes the city better uh everything that terry mclaurin touches uh, turns to gold. He works the screen. He's the hardest in practice. He's one of the smartest players on the team. He's the highest character player on the team. Uh, there is not a negative thing you can say about Terry McLaurin. And if you do, I will beat you and punch you right in the face <laughs> because he is that good a guy. I love the dude. And I, I, I just, I, I just want massive success for him because he deserves it. You know, it's interesting. Um, going back to his rookie year, you really, um, and I thought this was one of the better jobs your whole staff did at sort of keeping a player under wraps before the regular season started. Because that opener that year against the Eagles on the road when when uh, when Case Keenum uh, was the starter, right? Yeah. Um, uh, it was. We were hearing things. Some of us in the media were hearing things about how much you guys loved McLaurin. 
and we're talking about him a little bit, but if you're just a fan watching preseason games, you had no idea. It no, was, no, we weren't going to send him deep or do anything crazy with Terry in the preseason. We had to, yeah, we wanted to unleash him uh, in the regular season so he wouldn't get doubled every time or, or they'd have high safety on top of him. So, uh, yeah, that worked out to uh, – he actually had a couple other plays he could have made if we didn't overthrow him. Oh, Keenan uh, yeah. missed him deep. That would have been the game yeah. right there <laughs> in the third quarter. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah he's, just, he's just awesome. Um, just one more on him. What does he, as a football player, the character thing everybody understands, what as a football player does he do best? Is he, Is it his speed? Is it his route running? Is it his hands? What is it that he is just elite level at? Um, I think the total package. And when I say the total package is, first of all, he's, he's unselfish. So if he catches one ball, he's going to be the same guy as he gets if he catches 12. Uh, he's a powerful runner. He's a very solid route runner. You know, the thing about Terry is if he does have a negative, he doesn't have the greatest natural hands, but he doesn't have any drops. It's the dangest thing I've ever seen. You know, you watch him catch the ball, sometimes it looks like he double catches it. You know, yep, he doesn't yep. snatch the ball out of the air sometimes, but, but he always catches it. I haven't seen him drop a ball in a very long time. So uh, so that really can't be a negative because he doesn't have any drops. You know what I mean? It's like saying Philip Rivers has a bad delivery, but he completes 70% of his balls, so he sure. really doesn't have a bad delivery. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but he does everything well. Uh, he's a great blocker. Um, he'd be their best special teams player if they put him on special teams. Um, he, he runs intermediate routes. He's powerful after the catch. But the way he comes off the football looks like a dead sprint, and his power and his speed are his strength. Yeah, I mean, there, there are, um, you know, when, as you were saying that, I was thinking of my favorite NBA player is Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard, you know, shoots at a very high percentage, but it's a very flat shot. But somehow it always goes in. You know, it's not the perfect <laughs> yeah. ele- elevation on the stroke. It's a little bit flat, but it just he never seems to miss. Um, we're obviously talking about Jay Gruden. So through two games, clearly the surprise so far about this team has been the two subpar defensive performances. How surprised are you at that, and what do you think the issues are? Well, there's, you know, I I don't know. Uh, That's something you have to dissect with uh, the coaches. I still think they're going to be a top-notch defense when it's all said and done. The edge rushers that they have uh, will be problematic for defense moving forward uh, with Chase Young and obviously Montez Sweat and then Payne and Allen in the middle. They're still solid in that regard. I think there are some things in the secondary they probably got to clean up. Uh, But I still think, you know, playing uh, the Chargers week one, I think, Nobody has really given enough credit to Justin Herbert. Oof, I mean, he is yeah. an outstanding quarterback. And Keenan Allen and that group of offensive players that they have, that they're going to be a problem for a lot of teams. So I, I, I chalked that up, and they still did pretty well against them. And that is not their best performance, but uh, not terrible. And then last week, last night, I think, was a little bit disappointing. I think uh, the amount of yards they gave up to the Giant team who struggled last week, I think that might be a concern. But uh, it is still early. There's 15 games left for these guys. I still think they're a top-notch defense. They just got to clean some things up in coverage, and and they'll be fine. Um, You know, you and I talked about this the last time we talked, that you think one of your underrated um, strengths is as an evaluator. And I think I mentioned to you that Scott McLuhan once told me that of all the coaches he had worked with, that you were – the best and the keenest observer and evaluator of, of talent. And I, I know you, you liked Daniel Jones and um, coming out, and I'm curious as to what you think he's going to be. I thought he played really well last night. 
I did too. I think he's seeing the field a lot better. And I think Jason's done a pretty good job with him, Jason Garrett. Um, and, and I think, like I said earlier, I think the one thing that you don't really realize is what a good athlete he is. So I think the more pieces they get around, and once Saquon gets back to running like he runs, and once Ingram gets back and, and they get all their pieces together and, and Saquon's feeling better, they have the threat of the run and the play-action pass, you're going to see him get better and better. I'd like to see them add a, another major threat at receiver, that big drop that Slayton had there for a touchdown at the end of the game. You can see that they probably need another explosive guy on the outside, which would really help Daniel. Uh, but right now, I think he's progressed uh, at a pretty good, solid rate that the Giants can be very excited about him in the future. Um, can I ask you about a couple of the games this weekend? Yeah. All right. Uh, a couple of teams. I thought the Saints, probably more than anybody else, were the most impressive team in week one, and there were several of them. Do you think Jameis Winston is the answer? They go to Carolina. I think that's a well-coached team with Matt Rule and Joe Brady. I don't know what you think. Um, but uh, just just um, uh, some thoughts on the Saints and Winston with Peyton and then the Saints and the Panthers matchup. Yeah, I think uh, Jameis obviously uh, did a great job. You know, I think 25% of those passes were touchdowns in this game, completions anyway. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think they're He only threw 21 passes, I think, yeah. Yeah, 21 passes, and I think five of them were touchdowns. So, yeah, I think Carolina is going to pose a bigger threat. Um, you know, we'll see how Jameis does in some of these situations where they're trailing or uh, some of the third down and long situations. But so far, so good with him. Um, he's a young quarterback with a lot of talent. If he can obviously minimize those uh, mistakes that he made in Tampa, which people keep talking about, um, he's going to be an excellent player for him. And Carolina obviously is well coached. Joe Judge has an excellent job, and and uh, they got some weapons and. It'll be a heck of a game. Uh, do you do you agree with me on the Carolina staff? Do you know enough about Matt Rule and Joe Brady? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think they did. I'd like Matt Rule uh, at Temple. He did some unbelievable things. Right, he went to Baylor did did uh, really good things. And, and uh, yeah, I think for a college coach coming in the NFL, I think he's done a pretty dang good job. Were you a Darnold fan or not? I love Sam Darnold. Yeah, I think uh, a guy that probably. You know, you talk about Daniel Jones, and he's had some tough moments. Um, and same thing with Sam Darnold. These young quarterbacks are coming in; they're high draft picks for a reason because their team was had a bad record. Uh, and it's not just the quarterback; they need more pieces around them. And the more pieces that the Giants get around Daniel Jones, the better he'll be. And the same thing with Sam Darnold. You're seeing Sam Darnold uh, with the more experience he gets and people around him, um, a better defense, uh, the better player he's going to be. Uh, the other really impressive week one winner, among a few, um, were the Eagles. Uh, they blew out the Falcons 32-6. to They get the Niners this week. The Niners lost Mostert for the year. They lost uh, Verrett the corner for the year. Um, what do you make of the Eagles? I know it's only one week, and, and week one can be a major head fake in the NFL, but what do you think of that team? Well, I think people are surprised. They, a lot of people picked them to you know be the yes. last in the NFC East. And uh, I think with their – Offensive line, uh, I think their offensive line is pretty solid. You know, with Brooks and Lane Johnson and uh, Jason Kelsey and, and that big monster, Malata, whatever his name yeah, is, right. the left tackle. Yeah, I just you know signed I mean? him, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then adding Devontae Smith with the, with the speed that they have um, out there and, and Rager from uh, TCU. I think they, they have some weapons. And, and Jalen Hurts, again, maybe not the most accurate guy, uh, but he can beat you with his legs and make some plays outside the pocket. Um, he's going to miss some throws from time to time. Uh, but I think he's a guy that uh, really the zone reads, the read, all that, the RPOs, 
uh, he's very effective with. He's been proven to do that. He's obviously a great competitor and a great leader for that football team and, and their defense. You know, with Fletcher Cox and Hargrave and Brandon Graham uh, and Barnett, Barrett, uh, Barnett, I mean, uh, they, they can do some good things. Yeah, I think that, you know, last year they just had – they lost everybody offensively on that offensive line um, for once. Yeah, it's for tough. Once. I've kind of been through that. When you start losing offensive yeah. linemen, you're picking guys off the streets on Thursday to play Sunday and you're teaching them the two-minute snap count on uh, Friday afternoon, uh, you're going to have some problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to have continuity on your offensive line, the teams that stay healthy throughout the year, uh, offensive line-wise, usually have – much better success. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. When you guys, uh, you know, it was that game against the Cowboys where you had like four of your guys out, and then you went to Seattle and somehow pulled off a miracle win with like three guys that had to introduce themselves uh, in the yeah, Saturday was, walkthrough. Yeah, that Seattle game was probably one of the most improbable wins we've had here. <laughs> it really was when Josh Johnson beat Jacksonville down there. Uh, right. Coming in here after about eight days of practice was pretty good, too. I think I've told you this before, but I think the Josh Johnson um, uh, game, I think the game at Tennessee that you lost was one of the best games you've ever coached. Uh, considering all of the circumstances, um, I, I thought that that was just an incredible performance uh, in that game. Adrian was phenomenal. Um, in that game, uh, but uh, that was a no chance game. You were actually still technically alive uh, for the postseason, yeah. even though the season seemed to have gone south with all the injuries and the quarterbacks and the whole thing. But that was one of I, I thought one that you really, you know, I don't think coaches usually don't get a lot of credit for a loss, but I, I thought that that was one of those games you and your staff coached your ass off. Do you you remember that game, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, I remember that game. Yeah, I remember the interception. We had a chance at the end of the game to go yeah. down and beat them. Right. And, uh, you know, and they ran a corner cat against us on an empty protection. And Josh threw a, a pass a little bit too early, and it was picked off. So, yeah, I remember that game. It was, uh, I was happy the way our team came out and competed that game. Unfortunately, we didn't get the result we wanted. What about your brother's team? Uh, that's an emotional Monday night game uh, in the first game with fans in Vegas, an incredible Monday night game. And now, you know, short week, they got to come east to play a team that I think is much better than people think, especially on defense in the Steelers. Uh, give me give me a minute on that game Sunday. Yeah, that's going to be a good game. That's, that's tough. You play Monday night with that high emotion level. Um, luckily, they got the win. And then have a short week and have to travel to Pittsburgh. That's, that's a tough situation for a team to be in. But I know John will get him ready. John will get uh, those guys ready to play, and Derek Carr is playing at a high level. Very confident Derek Carr right now, and he's got some weapons now. You know, the, the Waller tight end Oof. is a problem for a lot of teams, and it's going to be something for teams they're going to have to deal with them. You're very similar when Jordan Reed was healthy. Teams had trouble. You know, you can put them outside, you, you get their man zone tips, put them inside. He's working on linebackers and safeties, and uh, and it's they they. Just don't have an answer for a guy like that. Zones, he knows how to read the zones and the option routes. He does a great job. And man-to-man, who's going to cover him? You know what I mean? So it is a great combination. They're very confident. Uh, they got a strong running game. I think the running game, when they get their lineman back, will be better. Uh, the young left tackle, the right tackle, Leatherwood, he did some good things. He had his problems, but I think he's going to be a, uh, a get better and better as the season goes on. But Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Tomlin always has his team ready to go. Big Ben's always going to make his plays outside the pocket, moving around. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a heck of a game. The division that the Raiders are in, that AFC West, I think is loaded, and I think Denver's a little underrated too. What do you think? 
Well, Denver's defense is yeah is as good as anybody. So that gives them a chance to win every game. So when you throw out those defensive players, Lon Miller and the rest of those guys, I mean, they're they're a problem. So yeah, so they're going to be in it, and uh, it'll be fun to watch that division. NFC West also. Right? Those four teams in NFC West, the four teams in AFC West. Those are the two best divisions in football. Clearly, not even close. Yeah, well, you've got you know you got the opportunity with seven in each conference. Now you could actually get an entire division into the postseason. You could have three wild cards from one division. I, I don't know if it'll happen, but um, that possibility exists. All right, Matt Stafford with Sean in LA. Uh, what does that result in this year? Well, I think. Everybody stays healthy. They're, they're awesome. I think Matt Stafford and, and Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and Higby, um, they, they can do a lot of They can hurt you a lot of different ways. Uh, they're probably not as effective running the football as they were when they had Todd Gurley, uh, but still they have that threat of the run, and their offensive linemen probably are not as good or talented as they were when Sean made the run to the Super Bowl. Uh, but with Matthew Stafford, his ability to move around and, and make some plays, uh, his arm strength, uh, the things that he can do with the football, they're different than what they've been accustomed to. So I think they could do more things in the passing game, which makes them better. As long as they can protect them, um, they have a chance to go a long way. But they have a tough division. You know, the 49ers are excellent. Cardinals are a heck of a lot better. And obviously Russell Wilson and Seattle have something to say about it as well. Yeah, that, they, both uh, the NFC West and AFC West loaded top to bottom. Uh, Chiefs-Ravens is the Sunday night game. Baltimore had all those injuries Although that Tyson or Tyson Williams or whatever his name was, he he fit in pretty well. How do you see this matchup? Baltimore gets the Chiefs in Baltimore Sunday night. Well, obviously Lamar's got to do a little bit better job protecting the football. Right. He can't turn the ball over twice. Um, but yeah, I think still Baltimore is going to be a team to be reckoned with. Uh, that was a tough loss for them. But Kansas City's Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes guy's a freak, and he could beat you at any time. Uh, big plays. Uh, methodical movement uh, plays down the field. They can beat you running a football with a lair. Uh, their RPOs are effective, but what makes them over-the-top good is Patrick Mahomes' ability to make the big plays with Tyreek Hill and Kelsey. They're just a tough matchup, man. Kelsey can beat you anywhere, very similar to Waller, uh, but they have the freak outside that runs a four-flat 40 in Tyreek Hill, which is always a problem, and a quarterback can throw it the length of the field. So uh, They're going to be a tough team to beat again, I don't see the Chiefs uh, uh, losing this game against Baltimore. You know what's interesting about the whole Mahomes Tariq Hill thing? Like the play last week, it's like the, it's not even like it's a great throw. I mean, he threw it just up in the air, deep downfield. He's got the arm strength to get it down there, but the defenders against Hill, like you're completely discombobulated. Like if if, if the defender turns around, it might be an incompletion, it might be an interception, but it's just amazing some of those plays that they complete. Well, can you imagine if you're the safety, the poor guy? I mean, Tyree kills a blazing down the field, and you got to know that the, the Mahomes can throw it the length of the field, so you got to just keep running. And then he stops on a dime, the ball's behind him, and it's a touchdown. So not a lot that safety could do. That's just, a, yeah. that's just one of those schoolyard, backyard schoolyard plays that's not coachable. You can't coach that play. You can't coach that play on defense. You can't coach that play on offense. It just happens, and only Mahomes and Tyree kill uh, pretty much get away with that. Give me a team that you've been telling your friends out on the golf course. Uh, this team's going to be really good this year, and nobody knows it. Uh, well, obviously the Raiders. I think the Raiders are going to be a lot better. But they do have a tough division. So I have to root for the Raiders. 
we got blood in this one. So, yeah, so the Raiders. But I think it's always going to come down to great quarterback play to me. You know, last year, playoff teams with Josh Allen, he played at MVP level. You had Aaron Rodgers, one of the best. You had Tom Brady uh, and Patrick Mahomes. Those are the final four. Yeah. So I to dethrone those four teams, there's going to have to be a quarterback to step up. I don't know who that's going to be yet. Uh, maybe it's Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, obviously Jameis Winston. Everybody's high on him right now. There, but there's going to have to be some quarter. Maybe it's uh, Kendall or uh, uh, Murray out there yeah. in Arizona. So who knows? Maybe it's Stafford. Uh, but somebody's going to have to come up and step up and consistently play this position high level. And then when it's crunch time in the playoffs, uh, obviously somebody's going to have to do some things that they haven't done in the past. Maybe it's Garoppolo. I don't know. One more, and I'll let you run. I really appreciate the time. Uh, First time for you in a long, long time, not coaching, not playing, not being a part of a team. How are you handling it? How's it going? It's tough. You know, I miss the training camp and the grind of the season, Um, but it is nice to have a break. My golf game is getting a little bit better. I'm having a lot of fun, seeing a lot of friends, and seeing how the other half of the world lives, you know, where you wake up and... Uh, you go put the tee in the ground, play some golf, and enjoy your day. And you're not on a 24 uh, 7 grind. You know, look, oh, we got third down today. Oh, my God. Red zone. Holy cow. Two minute drill. We got to get the two minute drill. We got to do this. We got to, you know, it's, 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 football can take a lot out of you. I do miss it, uh, but I do like playing golf as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a lot of people love just playing golf. I, I'm, I'm in that category of, of having that addiction um, as well. But you are watching and consuming the league every week right oh yeah yeah i got my fantasy football team going i'm i'm owing two and my own one in the league so yeah nice. i lost my first game yeah. who's you know, your if carlson kicks if carlson kicks that field goal if he they find the kicker and he kicks the field goal i win by a point instead they took they couldn't find the kicker and they threw a touchdown pass and i lost by two i was like <laughs> what the heck <laughs> so who's your who's your fantasy quarterback and and your, your... Oh, i took stafford man i took stafford yeah yeah. I took McLaurin too. I took McLaurin higher than I probably should, but I, I had to have McLaurin on my team. So yeah, I'm good. Um, I hope you're well. Uh, it sounds like you are. Uh, I'm sure you've got your your indexes down to like a, a you know two, three, four somewhere in that range. Um, based... well, I played the senior tournament, my first tournament ever, the senior event over here at Creighton, and uh, it was a one day event. I was kind of nervous. Got up on the first tee ready to take the trophy and uh, hit it out of bounds and was out of it after one <laughs> after one hole <laughs> and, 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 and and unfortunately you don't get two off the first in in that kind of I an know, event I was asking for it they wouldn't let me have it <laughs> thanks Jay I really appreciate it alright you got it alright thanks Jay see you good job thanks, appreciate it Great catching up with Jay Gruden. Uh, perfect timing to have him on today following the Washington Giants game last night. I thank Jay for all of his time. He's always generous with it. Up next, the smell test. And it's a big one right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell smell test. test. 
Smell test presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. If there's already a promo code in the promo code area, when you join MyBookie, just erase it and put KevinDC, and they'll double your first deposit if it's your first ever deposit. Put in any amount. Put in 100, you'll get an extra 100. Put in 500, you'll get an extra 500 to bet with. You've got the entire Friday night college board up right now, all of the college games on Saturday, and there are some big ones. And then Sunday, some big NFL games, including the Sunday Nighter, featuring the Chiefs and the Ravens in Baltimore. Lamar Jackson head-to-head with Patrick Mahomes. If you're having a difficult time figuring out which team to bet, MyBookie throws out tons of prop bet options on all of the NFL games, so you can look through uh, all of those. Uh, again, MyBookie, MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. If you've got a spot where you're already wagering, you should have two if you're taking this seriously. MyBookie gives you fair lines and fair pricing. I would recommend it highly. All right, the smell test. I have... Um, I have a change to the way I'm going to handle something. And some of you may not like it, but I would think that those of you that have been paying attention to me with this smell test over the years will trust me on this. I give out the smell test picks on Friday, and I give out the lines on Friday. And I live with those lines, and I've lived with those lines for years. And the truth is, half the time it works for me, and half the time it doesn't. Um, but something happened last week that made me think, well, it's unfair to me and the smell test record, um, to not update a point spread when it's significantly different from where it was on Friday. Therefore I am instituting a change. The Friday lines are going to be the the lines for the smell test 99% of the time. But when there is a situation like last week where Detroit, and I gave Detroit out Friday as a smell test pick, plus seven and a half against the 49ers. They were a major anti-public favorite. Well, when the smell test was given out on radio and on the podcast, literally the line jumped to eight within a half hour, eight and a half by the end of the day, nine by Saturday morning, and a lot of people got the Lions plus nine and a half. I got them at plus nine and won my bet. Betting the Lions, getting nine, they lost by eight, 41 to 33. An incredible, miraculous backdoor cover. They were down 41-17, and they scored 16 points, two touchdowns, two two-point conversions with an onside kick a recovery in between to get the backdoor cover. Well, I'm taking that as a win um, because none of you that bet that game based on the smell test recommendation lost it. You all won that bet, as did I, and to count it as a loss is ridiculous. Now, if the line moved a half point, fine. Um, and if the line moves the other way, if the line moved to nine and a half, all right, and and I had San Francisco laying seven and a half on Friday, but all of you had to lay eight and a half or nine, well, I'll take the loss on that moving forward. I'm not going to take a Friday line that you guys weren't able to play. Um, if you're able to play a line closely resembling the Friday line, that's fine. But the the uh, Detroit line moved to nine and a half from seven and a half. So 
I'm counting that as a win, which means last week was four and four, a three and one NFL uh, Sunday. Uh, I am six, six and one overall. If you have a problem with me doing that, that's fine. One of the things I haven't done, which almost everybody does on these particular um, pick segments, is they buy the half points, you know, and they take the much more advantageous line. Now, I should be doing that as well because I'm advocating and advising you to buy the half points in certain spots. So I should give the smell test pick out at that number with the, with the half point purchased. Uh, but I haven't done that in the past. I may do that in the future too. I don't know. We'll see. Six, six, and one entering week three for college and week two for the NFL. Uh, there were so many games this week that at first glance fit the smell test criteria of anti-public um, and then sharp money on the uh, anti-public side. There were so many. I mean, there were six or seven in college. And I'm telling you, there were like 10 or 11 in the NFL. Well, yeah, I've got in some information, uh, a lot more information in, and I've narrowed that list down to 14 plays this weekend. That's right. I have 14 plays this weekend, three tomorrow and 11 on Sunday. I don't think I've ever had that many Sunday NFL picks. Tread lightly on this. It's early, but there are some major sides. Let me mention to you, if you didn't know this already, do you know after last night in the NFL, underdogs are 13-4 and four so far this year. Now, I had you know four underdogs on Sunday, and counting Detroit as a win, one on three of them, and I lost on the Bears. Um, but they were uh, underdogs were 12 and four last week, one and0 last night with the Giants. They went off at plus four. 13 and four start. That's good for the books. It's really good for the books. Um, will it continue? I don't know. Week two, for me, is trying to identify the games in which the recent impression is leading the public to think something overwhelmingly and then go the other way. So let's get to the NFL, but first let me start with the college plays. Indiana is at home against eighth-ranked Cincinnati. Indiana got clobbered two weeks ago against Iowa, 34-6, to and they are only catching three at home in Bloomington against eighth-ranked Cincinnati. This line reeks. Give me Indiana plus the three. West Virginia is home against Virginia Tech. The Hokies are 2-0. They're ranked 15th in the land. West Virginia lost to Maryland two weeks ago, and yet they are favored over Virginia Tech. Public really backing Virginia Tech. The sharp action really is split, um, but there's overwhelming public action on Virginia Tech. I will lay the 2.5 and, and take the Mountaineers over the Hokies. Uh, Purdue's getting seven at Notre Dame, and the public loves Notre Dame. Notre Dame, I don't know what the deal is with Notre Dame. They are obviously, you know, sitting there at two and zero with the overtime win over Florida State, and then the late comeback or the late back and forth game uh, win last week over Toledo. Purdue's catching seven. The public likes Notre Dame. There's some sharp money on Purdue. I'll take the Boilers plus seven in South Bend. 
I almost gave out Florida plus the 14, 14 and a half against Bama. I'm going to probably play the Gators myself, um, but they are not an official smell test pick. Indiana plus three, West Virginia minus two and a half, and Purdue plus seven are the uh, official college plays tomorrow. Let's get to Sunday. I got a lot of games here. Uh, Again, I don't know that I've ever had this many NFL games, and I'm telling you right now, take them and bet them, but don't go crazy. Because uh, don't start throwing them into a bunch of teasers and a bunch of parlays. Play them straight bet, same amount, right down the board, okay? So the recent impression of the Colts is they got absolutely blown out by Seattle last week. And the Rams, the recent impression of the Rams is, look out, here comes Matt Stafford, Sean McVay, and the high-flying Rams. Well, then why are the Rams only three-and-a-half-point favorites Sunday against the Colts? Uh, The public thinks it's wrong. They are betting the shit out of the Rams right now. I'll take the Colts plus the three-and-a-half. The Bears got beat by the Rams, and the Bengals beat the Vikings. And the Bears are laying two-and-a-half. People think... The Bears aren't any good. I watched that game. They actually moved the football consistently against the Rams. They should have scored more points. I'm not saying they should have gotten the cover. I'm not saying at all that they should have won the game. Um, But the 14 points, given how well they moved the ball at times, seemed not reflective of their ability offensively, which I found to be a little bit surprising with Andy Dalton taking most of the snaps. They're laying two and a half at home against Cincinnati. The public likes the Bengals after they beat the Vikings. I'll take the Bears and lay the two and a half. Um, The Eagles are a team I've been talking about all summer long. Uh, I played them on the over seven plus 120. Um, I played them uh, on a long shot to win the division. Um, I just like the Eagles team and I like Jalen Hurts. Uh, They are getting three at home against San Francisco after they walloped uh, the Falcons and the 49ers, you know, rolled up 41 against the Lions. Now they had some injuries. Now this isn't a, a recent impression thing as much as the public is really, really enamored with the 49ers. I'll take the Eagles at home plus the three. I think they definitely can win this game outright. The Saints may have been the most impressive team last week, 38-3 winners over the Packers. The Panthers held on for dear life against the Jets. The Saints are laying three and a half in Charlotte. I'll take the Carolina Panthers plus the three and a half. The Raiders were awesome on Monday night. Big win over Baltimore. The Steelers were impressive against Buffalo. Um, But the Raiders are a team that people, and you heard Jay Gruden, he loves the Raiders. Uh, That line is perceived to to be wrong by a lot of people, Pittsburgh's laying six. They're a six-point favorite over the Raiders. The Raiders are getting a ton of public action and sharp money. There is a significant sharp money on Pittsburgh. I think it's the West Coast. I think it's the short West Coast to East Coast, 1 o'clock kick. I think it's the short turnaround off the Monday night. I'll take the Steelers and lay the six. Jacksonville lost their opener um, last week. Uh, you know, uh, in Denver, they're playing, um, was very impressive in their win over the Giants. The Jacksonville Jaguars are considered to be one of the two worst teams in the league, but they got beat by the worst team or the perceived worst team 37 to 21 last week. Denver, 
you know, went into the Meadowlands and won 27 to 13. Denver's laying less than a touchdown. The public loves the Broncos. I like the Broncos a lot as a team. I'll take Jacksonville in the smell test plus the six. We got more to go. Uh, the Bills lost, the Dolphins won. Now, this is counterintuitive to the recent impression thing, but the public loves Buffalo. They're going to be on Buffalo until they start hammering people. Uh, And this number is perceived to be short with the Dolphins getting three and a half at home. I'll take the Dolphins getting the three and a half at home. Uh, What's up next? What's up next are the Vikings. This is the biggest, one of the two or three biggest anti-public plays and there is major sharp money on the Vikings. Arizona looked great in pummeling Tennessee, and the Vikings lost to Cincinnati in overtime. Now, they were on the verge of winning that game, and Dalvin Cook fumbled in overtime as they were in field goal range for a game winner. Uh, the Vikings, I think I think a lot of the public betters think that Arizona should be a solid six, seven-point favorite. They opened at four. It's down to three and a half. Now it's back to four in spots. I'll take the Vikings plus the four at Arizona uh, in a smell test pick. Um, The Falcons are getting 13 at Tampa. Anything under two touchdowns against a a team that lost 32-6 to last week is perceived as too short, not enough points. I'll take the Falcons plus the 13. Uh, we got th- we got two more. Um, I like the Titans plus six at Seattle. The Titans got run. Seattle had the win against Indy. Seattle's laying six. Give me Seattle at home. Uh, I'm sorry. Give me the Titans at ho- uh, on the road getting six against Seattle. Actually, it's up to six and a half now. Um, it looks like that's up to six and a half now. So I got the Titans plus six and a half, and then give me the Chargers minus the three against the Cowboys, who everybody thought were were so impressive with Dak Prescott and the ability to score. But the Chargers were impressive too, but the public is backing Dallas in this one. I'll take Dallas. uh, I'll take the Chargers, excuse me, laying the three. That was exhausting. Um, Indiana plus three, West Virginia minus two and a half, and Purdue plus seven tomorrow. On Sunday, the Colts plus three and a half, the Bears minus two and a half, the Eagles plus three, the Panthers plus three and a half, the Steelers minus six, the Jags plus six, the Dolphins plus three and a half, the Vikings plus four, the Falcons plus 13, the Titans plus six and a half, and the Chargers minus three. There's your smell test for Week two of the NFL and week three of college. 14 plays could really set me back and have me in chase mode here early in the season if this doesn't work out. Uh, Maryland tries to make it three in a a row tonight. I don't like the game either way from a betting perspective. Um, I think it's an interesting matchup because after week one when – uh, when uh, Illinois uh, beat Nebraska, I said, I think Brett Bielma is really going to turn this program around, and I think Illinois is going to become you know, a, a big-time program in the Big Ten again. It's been a long time for Illinois, but I think Bielma is really, really good, uh, and I think Maryland's really, really talented. Um, Illinois, after uh, beating uh, Nebraska in their opener, um, they uh, lost to UTSA. UTSA was a smell test pick, and they got blown out by UVA last week, 42-14. to Maryland is a seven-point favorite tonight. I don't like the game either way, 
this is a big test for Maryland. You know, Maryland in that first year, yeah, last year really doesn't count. In Loxley's first year two years ago, they opened up with a huge win over Howard, and then they blew out Syracuse, who was ranked at the time. And Maryland became a ranked team two weeks into the season. And then they went to Temple and had an early game at Temple and lost an ugly game. And that was a big disappointment because they were coming home the following week for a Friday night game against Penn State, and it would have been two ranked teams. And it already turned out to be one of the best tailgate scenes in in Maryland football history for that Penn State game a few years ago. Um, But it was also ominous that they had lost a temple on the road, and Penn State blew them out, and Maryland went on to have uh, a rough season in Mike Loxley year number one. Well, this Illinois game, you know, sort of reeks the same way the Temple game did. Not enough for me to put it in the smell test. Um, I love Maryland's talent. I love the quarterback. I think they're a good team. I think they're going to be a bold team this year. I think this is a very tight game tonight. Um, I like Maryland to figure out a way to win it. I'm certainly hopeful that that will happen. Um, it's really important if they can get it. They have Kent State next week, and then it would set up potentially a massive Friday night, October 1st game against Iowa, who has obviously climbed way up in the rankings. And Iowa right now um, you know, has a chance to uh, also to be undefeated. They're ranked fifth in the AP, the recent AP. They have Kent State this week and then Colorado State, so they're going to be 4-0. If Maryland could get to 4-0 as well, uh, they would be ranked at that point. Maryland would be, I would think. Um, and so Maryland as a ranked team would have you know, a top five team in their building for a Friday night, October 1st game. That would be uh, an incredible atmosphere uh, if they get to that. Tonight's the key. Um, Illinois on the road. Illinois coming off two losses. They're going to be um, really roaring uh, to go, and I think there's some belief in Brett Bielma, but after that win over Nebraska, two straight losses, I think Maryland's going to get uh, the best they can get from Illinois. Illinois has got some injuries. Um, uh, Maryland, uh, though, has some real talent, uh, especially on offense uh, at wide receiver with Demas and Rakeem Jarrett. And if you haven't seen Leah uh, Tungavailoa play to his younger brother, he's really good, Maryland's quarterback. All right, that's it for the show. Back on Monday with a complete uh, recap of the NFL and college weekend and a lot more. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. Thanks.